Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, beginning of verse 14. You there? It's right here. You can turn there in your Bibles if you brought them. You can pull it up on your phone. However you want to do it. We're going to be in the word of the Lord together. Let's go. Uh, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See that I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The, master, the, the man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, uh, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. I've gained two more. And his master replied, You've done well, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you over many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag, he came to the master and said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money and deposited it with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the word of God for us people of God. And together we we'll say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Most of you might already know this about me, but I'm a big sports fan, just a big old sports nut. Kathy and I actually watch football together every Sunday night from our own homes. We text each other and she says, who are we rooting for tonight? And I was like, whichever, one, whichever team has more of my fantasy players. <laughs> I love playing sports. I love watching sports. I love to listen to podcasts about sports. My main sport in high school was soccer, but I played them all. I at least tried them all. I was really bad at most of them, but I still love to play them. I love baseball, football, scholars, bowl, you name it. If it was competition, I was in. As an adult, I get my sports fix um, from competing in triathlons and then also from uh, just watching sports on TV. And the older I get, the more uh, sports that I watch, the more I see how cyclical things are how history tends to repeat itself, and how there are certain undisputed truths about competition. For example, golf majors are only fun if there's a tight leaderboard on Sunday, or else it's not that interesting. At some point this NBA season, one of the star players is gonna get mad and demand a trade. In baseball, other than in 2021, the Braves are gonna look great in the regular season, and then flame out real early in the postseason. And any time a football team is up with a lead and goes into a prevent defense, they are guaranteed to lose. Let's linger over that last one because it's the most important for us today. If you're unfamiliar with the term prevent defense, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's when a team stops playing 
aggressive defense. They stop blitzing the quarterback. They stop trying to, to press the issue. They, they're playing soft coverage. They're, they're trying to make sure that big plays don't happen. But what ends up happening is when a team has a lead and they go into a prevent defense, they, the opponent almost always starts getting these little short plays, methodically walking down the field, five yards here, 10 yards there, to all of a sudden, all the time has been run off the clock, they score at the last minute, and the team that went into prevent defense loses because there's no time left for them to get the ball back. It's odd to me, it's almost how predictable it is and how a team will abandon the strategy that got them there in the first place. They have gone from doing what it takes to win, and instead of trying to win, they begin playing not to lose. And there's a big difference between trying to win and trying not to lose. I mean, that's what, it reminds me of, of the servant who buried the money in the sand. The parable we just read, Jesus told this as a part of a series of parables during the last week of his life. He's just, he made it to Jerusalem. It's the week of Passover. It's before his crucifixion. And everybody is clamoring to hear from him and to learn from him and to be near from him, be near to him. And, and at the very end of Matthew's gospel, we get this extensive teaching section and he caps it off with this. The very last, last parable Jesus tells before he's crucified. And talk about going out with a bang. Like mic drop kind of parable. It is full. It, it is an indictment of laziness, fear, and the wait and see mentality. Jesus says that there's this guy, he has all this money, he's about to go on a journey, but before he left, he called three of his servants in and he gave each of them some gold. And he didn't, he didn't give him instructions about what to do with the gold. He didn't tell them how to invest it or what to, how to, so the first one who's given five, he goes and he invests it. He said he puts it to work and he makes five more bags of gold. And, and the second one does the same with two bags. So when the, the master came back, he was very pleased with them. He said, you well done, good and faithful servant. That's where that phrase comes from. You've probably heard that before. We hope to hear that at the end of our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then the guy who was given one bag of gold, he doesn't do anything. He just hides. He hides it in the ground, buries it. He didn't lose it. He didn't, he didn't squander it away. It's not like the, the, the parable of the, the, the prodigal son and spent it all. No, he, he still has the master gave him. But when the man comes back, he could not be more mad about this man's indifference, about his lack of action. Mr. Prevent Defense comes and says, I, I know that you're a great man, that you reap where you did not sow. Here's, what, here's what's yours. I'm just giving it back. And he's so mad, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Again, he did not lose what the master gave him. He still has the initial gift. He just gives it back. And he said, you are so lazy. If you know these things about me, why didn't you at least put it in the bank where it could have garnered interest on it? Gained a little bit of money, but take it from him and give it to the one who already has a lot. And that's the last parable Jesus says before he's crucified. His last story is one that, that praises risk and condemns inaction. And here we are in the third week of our discipleship series. We've been naming the things that we are for. 
And it seems as good a time as any for us to say that we stand for action. We're a church that stands for action. The first week we said we stand for responsibility. We, we all stand on the responsible faith that claims our faith as our own and doesn't expect other people to do the work of faith for us. We take this faith journey seriously when we make these commitments to the church, to God, to one another. And last week we said we stand for wisdom. How there's a lot of wonderful people who came before us who did hard work on our behalf that we are benefiting from, that we are the inheritors of wisdom, and we stand for that wisdom. But the church can only pass down the wisdom given to us if we're willing to take risks, like those that came before us. The church cannot be all that God desires for it to be if all we do is inherit the wisdom and hide, bury it in the sand, if we take what God has given us and put it in the ground. What risk is there in only using our money to keep the doors open for no other purpose than not to die? I mean, there's a big difference between trying to win and trying not to lose. Well, there's also a big difference between dying and actually being alive. The only way the church is truly alive, the only way we are living the way God calls us to is by taking action, is by doing things, is by making, taking risks that will advance the kingdom. I mean, a church that, that has no building, that rents space in a strip mall, it, it doesn't have to worry about wind damage. But we do. And if you read your uh, church council report journal this month, you'll know that even still, our church decided for the first time that we're going to go without wind insurance. Because the cost is so great that it hinders our ability to do effective ministry. It's going to be over $200,000 a year for annual premiums because of wind insurance. And it's a risk to go without it. We have some other ways we might be able to handle these things, but the risk is even greater if we say we're just not going to do the ministries we feel called to do. Those risks are way worse than whatever the weather is going to bring. So also, you know, our, our church, you know, churches without, without a full-time children's director, they don't have to worry about taking the time needed to fill an open vacancy. But we do, because we believe in our children and their education and their growth. And so our SPRC is diligently taking their time to find the right person, the person Jesus is bringing us, rather than just offering it to the first person available. I'm so grateful for Wilson and for Sutton and for all of our volunteers who are making sure we have this wonderful children's ministry while our SPRC takes time, risky time, to do the work that God has called them to do. Our congregation is already one that takes risks because we're a church that stands for action and action is required to thrive, to do more than just survive. You know, when I think about our church, I think of uh, the blind man in John 9. Do you remember him? The one that Jesus saw him there begging and he spit in the mud and he, he made mud on his hands and he put it on the man's eyes. Um, and Jesus uh, didn't just, he wasn't just healed in that moment. He told him, you have to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man encountered Christ and then had to act. He had to do something on his own. He had to be responsible and take his faith in his own hands and go and journey to the pool of Siloam and wash, and then he was healed. It wasn't just resting and sitting with what Jesus had already done. It was a risk stepping out in faith based on what Jesus told him to do. That's what we do here. 
That's what our church is all about. We act on the encounters with Jesus. Jesus leads us. Jesus guides us. Jesus does incredible things. But a responsible faith is one that takes actions based on those interactions. That steps out because Jesus tells us to. That trusts. And actions are risky and they can be scary. It's not a risk if you already know the outcome. It's not faith if you can already see how things are going to play out. But one thing Jesus never does say, he never says we have to take these risks alone. That's the commitment we make here as a church. We join together and say that our church is a place where we can come and take risks together. It's not just one person or one pastor doing something and everybody else sitting back and just observing. These are communal decisions Actions made up of all of us deciding together what direction to go in. But even still, that doesn't mean that we all don't feel the weight of communal decisions. As individuals, we know that we have to live with what the church has decided if that is our church on anything. And when you decide to put your trust in the church, and when we move in a direction that might be unconventional, that might create controversy. People might look at you and, and say like, why are you a part of that church? Why would y'all's church do such a thing? Whatever it might be, why would you go to the, the, the poverty experience? Why are you going and doing these things? Just, isn't it just easier to just go with the flow to do what everybody else is doing? Standing for action might not make sense to even the people closest to you. I mean, Jesus even says so in Luke 12. He says, he's gonna cause divisions. Do you think I came to bring peace? No! I didn't come to bring peace, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against daughter-in-law, and against mother-in-law. Everybody against everybody. You know why I said that? Because when you follow Jesus, it's going to look strange to people who haven't yet had that encounter. It's going to be hard for even the people closest to you to understand what you're doing, what we're doing, what this church does, because they haven't had that experience, that encounter that led us to act. It might look like you've got the lead <laughs> and you keep pressing on anyway. The, the simple thing to do would be drop back in coverage. Can you just play not to lose? Let's just keep the doors open. We're all happy here, right? It's easier to play prevent defense, to just serve ourselves, to just do what makes us look cool or happy. But that's not what Jesus did. That's not, that's not a group of people that stand for action. In our church, we stand for actions together. But we're only able to do that. We're only able to, to do this work together as a church is if we're also doing it in our own lives. As individuals, are you a person who stands for action? I mean, just as tempting as it is for our church to back away from taking risks, it's just it's equally as tempting in our own lives. I mean, how many times ha have you decided to switch to that prevent defense, right? It's a pretty universal truth that... The more we have, the more we have to lose. 
And so the more protective of our things we become. I don't notice many 20-year-olds worried about their 401ks. There's not a whole lot of master's students concerned with wind insurance. Not a whole lot of first-time apartment renters are contemplating buying bigger barns to store their grain. It's another one of Jesus' parables he warns us about. The more we have, the more afraid we are to take risks. I get it. You've worked hard for what you have. You've worked hard for your reputation. You've worked hard for your money. You've worked hard for the life that you've built. But we can only be a church that takes bold action, that steps out in faith, as if we are individuals doing the same. So what does it look like to be a person who steps out in faith, to create a church where people can own that in their own lives? I think it looks like giving up some of the time you're making, using for making profit and spending it on prayer. I mean, that's, that's the first of our membership vows. The things that we're going to recommit next week, prayers, presence, gifts, witness, service, prayer. I'm like, and don't let anybody tell you prayer is not an action. It is. Prayer is action. And when done faithfully, it can be risky. If you spend 15 more minutes in prayer compared to maybe spending more 15 more minutes at work, I mean, you could build that extra quarter hour. You could punch out a little bit later. That's what lots of people do. That's the conventional thing to do. That's going with the flow. But how more valuable is that time spent on action through prayer? The second vow we all make is to be present. And it's risky to be present with the church. Because guess what? It might mean you get looks from your peers or your friends when you take your kid to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening instead of that extra ball game or instead of that, that trip or instead of staying at home and watching TV, whatever the other thing might be, you could be doing that and you decided to be here instead. People might judge you for that. Do you care enough about them? Are you giving them? Why are you making them get up early on a Sunday morning? Action for the kingdom looks like telling people you're going to go to a Bible study. You're going to invite people to come with you as you learn more rather than spending that time on something that might seem more normal. Being present is an intentional action that comes with risks to our own reputation. The third vow we all make together is about offering our gifts. And that one's pretty self-explanatory, right? It's risky to give up some of your income. You could be spending on your bills. You could be spending on other things, but it's also risky in another way. It's risky to give up control. That's what happens when we give our money to the church. When you give your money to the church, you're giving up control. You're taking action by saying, I trust the church to do God's will. When you take your hard-earned income and you put it to work to make investments for the kingdom rather than investments in the stock market. And, and make no bones about it. They're both investments. But one's eternal. We don't just take the money that, you, that the people give to the church that we all give together and bury it in the sand. We put it to work for the kingdom. But the risk we inherit when we do so is that we've, we've lost control on how that investment is going to be made. We don't get to direct every one of the strategies in the kingdom portfolio. We say, church, Lord, I trust you. I trust the church to know your will better than I do. It's a lot less faith that we can offer when we try to maintain control over how our money is spent. It's a riskier thing to trust God and to trust the other people in this church. But that's what we do. That's an action we believe in. That's the step we all take. Just like we all serve together. 
It's a risk to serve. It's a risk to, to, to give and not expect anything back. I mean, the, the rest of the world, the normal prevent, defense, go with the flow thing is to do something and get paid for it. Or it's to give a favor and expect the favor to be returned. The riskier thing, the action for Jesus is to say, I'm going to serve and not expect anything in return. Nobody might even know that I did it. It might not help me in the least, but I made this vow to serve. And Jesus says, the greatest among us will not be the wealthiest, the most powerful, the cool, will be your servant. And lastly, as we wrap this up, uh, uh, of the vows we make, the riskiest one is our witness is the witness that we offer. The action of witness is a risk for the kingdom. When you join this church, everyone else is taking a risk on you and you are taking a risk on us. When you recommit yourself, you are saying that I want you to represent me and I am gonna represent you in the world. When people see you and they say, don't they go to Dolphin Way? We hope it's a good thing. When you're at your work, and you're just being yourself. If people say, don't they go to Dauphinway? Are they a Christian? Is your witness one that we could be proud of? Is your witness one that I would want to represent me? I am risking my own reputation on you and you are doing the same on everyone you're sitting next to and on me. Perhaps the greatest risk of all is trusting one another to say, I want you to take the light of Christ on my behalf into the world, and I want to do the same for you. Friends, we're a church that stands for actions, and our vows are those actions. When we commit to prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, we are taking risks. They are not comfortable. They are not things we can guarantee. We have no idea where things will land or how things will go, but we trust that in everything, we are following the will of the Holy Spirit. That we are going where God is leading us and we're not gonna bury our treasures in the ground. We're not just gonna keep the doors open just to keep them open or pay the light bills to benefit just the people who come here. We're gonna serve, we're gonna give, we're gonna pray, we're gonna learn. And we're gonna be Christ's light in the world. And this season of recommitment, I pray that is true for you. I pray that your commitment to this church is not just something that you do because you feel like you're supposed to. You move to town and you join a church. Somebody dragged you here. I pray you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, how can I take the next step in my prayers, in my presence, in my gifts, in my service, in my witness? How can I step out in faith with every facet of my life and risk it all for Jesus? Because I promise when we all do that together, when we're a church that stands for action, there is no limit to what God can do through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.